privilege to worship with you, and I, I really um, am glad that not only that you're here tonight, those of you that are online, but just the, you know, um, understanding that we're here to worship the Lord, you know, and we get to do it together with our, our family and friends. Tonight we're in Jeremiah chapter 25. We've been going through uh, this amazing book that very few people ever read. It's in the Old Testament, and so it has one of those, especially the part that we're going to be reading tonight. Uh, all these names and, and places and, and, you know, descriptions that, you know, we don't relate to it because we're not, we weren't there 2,700 years ago. You know, we can't even pronounce most of the names, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, is foreign to us, literally. And, and tonight, hopefully, as we walk through these uh, next couple of chapters, we're going to see how relevant they are to today. Uh, even more relevant than, you know, the latest blog that you wrote, read, read, or the newspaper, if you ever read a newspaper, you know, the news, you know, it's even more relevant, uh, because the privilege that we see is the life applications as we're going to be walking through, uh, these amazing, uh, verses here. Remember, Jeremiah is, uh, speaking to people that do not want to hear him. Uh, he's speaking to a group of people that are behind uh, walls that are surrounded by the Babylonian army. Twice they have already come in. They've already taken away the best of the best. And then they came in and took away those people that were the craftsmen or, or the people that, you know, had skill. And so the first time they come away and they take away Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, those people that were, you know, handsome and smart and wise, you know, the, the cream of the crop, if you will, in Jerusalem. That they, they gut the talent. And so Babylon takes those uh, men away, those people away. You can read about that in Daniel. And then the second group that are taken away is Ezekiel. Uh, the people that live on the river Kibar, the ones that have talent that are put to work in the infrastructure of the Babylonian empire. So by default, who are left? The riffraff, the rejects, the people in poverty, the ugly, if you will, are left here in Jerusalem and they are rejecting, literally fighting against, as we learned last week, slapping Jeremiah across the face because they are so proud of who they are. They do not want to listen to the word of God. Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 1. It goes like this. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim. The son of Josiah king of Judah. Which was first year of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon. Which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem saying from the 13th year of Josiah to the son of Ammon king of Judah even to this day. This is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me. 23 years he's been preaching to the people in Jerusalem. And I have spoken to you, risen early and speaking, but you have not listened. And now the Lord has sent you all his servants, the prophets, rising early, sending them. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. 
They said, Repent now every one of his evil ways and his evil doings and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord. That you might provoke me uh, to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. And so, Father, tonight as we approach this uh, section in the scriptures, that has so many uh, applications that are uh, more relevant uh, today in our lives than uh, many of the things that we see on, on TV or, or or the things that are uh, proclaimed to us in the media. And so, Lord, please forgive us when we let uh, current events uh, shadow our view of, of the clear word of Scripture. When we get worried about today, or, or worried about what's happening in our world, and see, even here in Scripture, the the people in Jerusalem behind enemy uh, lines are experiencing the same exact events that we see even happening in our world today. And the many applications that Jeremiah is going to bring about, the Lord is going to teach uh, the people in this most dire of times that you are still near, that you are still there. And that you still want to hear our voices, Lord. I thank you so much for the privilege that we can come before you at any time and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you uh, hear us, Lord. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the leadership of this church. I ask you just uh, not only bless and, and give wisdom to our, our pastors, our elders, our, our leaders, but that you would use um, us and, and help us to edify one another, to be there. Uh, for one another to not only serve you willingly, uh, but joyfully as well, Lord. I thank you so much for the privilege that we can gather on a Wednesday night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Jeremiah, of course, was called the weeping prophet. We, we've read that many, many times. The lamenting uh, prophet, if you will. And the definition that we've learned is not that, not that he cried for himself. He, he's weeping and lamenting for the people. Uh, and as we read here, the length of time that he has been going, uh, not only just, you know, maybe a sermon here or there, but as it describes in two different occasions in these verses, rising up early to tell the people for 23 years. And, and all that he's received is rejection. First in his own city, and now within the, you know, upper echelon of the political and religious parties of Jerusalem itself. Uh, to be rejected in every single way, not, not, you know, received with joy or received with encouragement, but to be rejected over and over and over again. What would that do to a person that is called by God to preach the word? You have to have some sort of a foundation if you're there for 23 years. 
And Jeremiah, of course, is relying upon uh, the Lord. We see here in verse 8, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and I will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, and the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp and this whole land will be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. What is being taken away from the people of Judah? What, what is being taken away because of their sin? And we're going to see two things that are taken away in this chapter. One here and then later another in the end of the chapter. You see, the first thing that's being taken away is their joy. All those things that are listed here are, are events, milestones of joy. Uh, the bridegroom and the bride, marriage itself. Uh, the joy of birth. Uh, the joy of, of life itself is going to be taken away from the people. What's the reason why? Because of sin. Because they've disobeyed and not listened to God. And even if you know you have no clue who any of these people are, Amon, Josiah, Jehoiakim, all these names that we see here, or, or even the time period some 2,700 years ago, the same is true today. Sin robs your joy. It kills it. Oh, oh it promises happiness. Oh, oh, it promises big things. We see it all the time, unfortunately. Um, but that happiness is so fleeting. And it causes so many bigger problems afterwards. The downfall is great. You see, when we don't obey God, our joy is taken away. Because who's the one that gives us joy? Where does joy come from? From God himself, right? And when we don't have that relationship with him, uh, what happens to our joy? It's robbed. Uh, this chapter in Jeremiah 52 are, are going to be extremely important, especially when we get to the book of Daniel in, you know, two years or whenever we get there. Uh, but, but, you know, just for future reference, uh, maybe a, a homework assignment, if you will, a lot of these same numbers, the 70 years is going to repeat, be repeated here in chapter 25 and then also in 52, which is the opposite. That's the easy way to remember it, 25, 52, and then also in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, because the reason why this is given, and, and Daniel being a, you know, a, a, a concurrent or a, you know, the same time period, only in a different place, is getting the same vision, by the way. Seventy years. 
And so the, the question is, why is God putting them in bondage in another country for 70 years? What, what is that specific year for? And, and you can, you know, there's all times, types of commentary on this and everything like that. But, but the reason why, you know, that we see here is because the people had been in the land for 490 years. Uh, by this time, they, they'd, from the time of Joshua until now, 490 uh, years. And there was a, a commandment that was given to the people. Every seven years, they were supposed to allow the land to go fallow. And they were supposed to trust God. They weren't supposed to plant any crops. Uh, they, they just relied upon the previous crops that they received or, or anything that would just come up wild. And they were supposed to trust God in that those seven years, that seventh year. And then also in the what was called the 50th year, the, the year of Jubilee, if you will. And so if you divide 70 years, the time that they're going to be in uh, Babylon into 490, that's seven years. Every seven years, they were supposed to allow it to uh, go fallow. The land was supposed to rest, if you will, have a Sabbath. And for 490 years, it hadn't been rested. It hadn't had a chance to rest. And so what is God doing? Not only is he punishing the people for their sin, but he's allowing the land to do what? To rest. To recover. To grow. We're going to see this as we walk uh, through this. But you see, it also showed a lack of trust in God. How many times do we overwork ourselves because we have to get that next, you know, dollar? Be because if we don't, then we might not be able to, you know, get the next big thing that we want. Or, you know, we don't trust God in providing for us. And, and so many times we want to overexert ourselves. But what, what is God set up in terms of a, a week, if you will? What are we supposed to have every single week? A day of rest, right? And the privilege of knowing that God will provide even in that resting uh, time uh, period. We also see in verse 12, as we pick up the story again, it says, then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed, literally to the day. And we're going to see this when we get to, you know, uh, the end of this chapter. But also you see it in Ezra and Nehemiah as well. Those books that were written at the end of the history period of the Old Testament. And if you read, whether it was Jer Nehemiah being given that, you know, cupbearer position to be right at the perfect opportunity at the 70-year mark to be before his king and say, my people are starving for their land. My, my people long to go back to their homeland. To put a perfect person in that place, that position, in the providence of God at the 70-year mark. Or, or to bring Ezra back to the land 70 years in order to rebuild uh, the temple itself. All the providence of God. In fact, as it says here in verse 12, 
for their iniquity, says the Lord, I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in the book which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations, for many nations and great kings shall be served by them also, and I will repay them according to their deeds, according to the works of their hands, for thus says the Lord God of Israel. Take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to my send you to drink it. And they will drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send against them. Not only Judah, not only Jerusalem, but the nations that surround uh, this area as well. And these nations that we're going to be seeing here are the, you know, the, the people that, you know, lived around Judah and in many ways were a thorn in their side. God is going to remove them. God is going to remove them from uh, the land. In fact, you can see the list of the names here. Verse uh, 17, then he took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations drink to whom the Lord had sent me. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, its kings and its princes made them, make them a desolation, an astonishment, a hissing, and a curse as it is this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his princes, and all his people, these are the nations to the south. And all the mixed multitude, all the kings of the land of Uz, all the kings of the land of the Philistines, namely Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnants of Ashdod. These are what are, you know, the modern day Gaza Strip, if you will, the Philistine. Edom, Moab, and the people of Ammon. Edom were the descendants of Esau. Ammon and Moab were the, you know... Um, children slash grandchildren of Lot. You know, they, they had both of those places. You can read the story in the book of, of Genesis. Verse 22, all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, these were in the northern coast of Israel, and the kings of the coastland which are across the sea, Dedan, Atima, Buzz, and all who are in the farthest corners, all the kings of Arabia, all the kings of the midst multitude who dwell in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam, and all the kings of the Medes, all the kings of the north, far and near, one with another, and all the kingdoms of the world which are on the face of the earth, also the king of Shishak shall drink after them. What is the punishment compared to, by the way? This punishment is compared to a a uh, cup of wine. It, this, you know, and you see it on all the the commercials. What what is alcohol supposed to give you? <clears throat> Joy and happiness, right? And what what is going to happen to these nations? It's pronouncing judgment upon them. So the joy that they're seeking instead of from the Lord by sinning, what's going to happen to their joy? It's going to be taken away and poured out with fury and anger from God. Now, you may say, I have no idea what any of these nations are or the names, you know, and, and you can look at a, you know, biblical map or, or whatever and kind of point out these are literally all the nations surrounding uh, Jerusalem in its day. But but it's just like us, you know, living in Kern County. You, you try to describe Tachapi to someone or Arvin or, or Taft or something like that. A person that lives here has no clue what those places are. 
you know, it's it's the same thing in the Bible, unless you were there or been there or something like that. You don't really know the places. But the understanding is the example is the same today. Where do people go to try and fill that missing void of joy in their lives? The same place as it was 2,700 years ago. The, the, the things that the world says gives you joy. And as we see here, it actually steals it, takes it away. As it says in verse 27, therefore you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk, and vomit. Oh, wouldn't that be great in a commercial? We never, we never see the effects of, you know, being drunk on a commercial. We'll never see that. What do you see? Chiseled, you know, bodies, beautiful women, right, you know. And, and, you know, I mean, I can pick on alcoholism, but it's the same for anything that we substitute for the Lord. Any addiction, it doesn't matter what it is. It will always be fleeting compared to the joy that the Lord uh, can give. And it continues there in verse 28. And it shall be if they refuse to take the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you shall certainly drink. For behold, I bring, I begin to bring calamity on the city, which is called by my name. He's starting with the people of God first. The people in Jerusalem, they're the ones that are going to be judged first. Why? Because they have the word of God. They have the example. They have that word from God that they were called to obey and to be an example to the surrounding nations. Going all the way back to Abraham, what did God say through Abraham? I'm going to bless the nations through you. Not only that, but you are going to be an example of me to the nations, a witness, if you will, a, a testimony, if you will. And it's the same thing for us too. But when we don't have that witness, when we don't have uh, that testimony, when in fact, many times we uh, disavow God or even disobey God, do the nations have an excuse or people that are non-Christians have an excuse? The example, of course, is with us through the word of God. In fact, in verse 29, for behold, I bring, I shall, I begin to bring calamity on the city, which is called by my name. And should you be utterly unpunished, you shall not be unpunished. For I will call for a sword on all the inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 30, therefore prophesy against them all these words and say to them, the Lord will roar from on high. And utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold. He will give a shout as those who tread the grapes. Against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise will come to the ends of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He will plead his case with all flesh. He will give those who are wicked to the sword says the Lord. No longer protecting his nation, but bringing judgment upon his nation. Have you ever seen the nature shows? And, you know, many of you that 
have heard me speak before you you've heard this illustration many many times but the nature shows where you know it shows a pride of lions right you know and that that lion that daddy lion with that amazing voice right he he roars and literally for miles around what happens to every single animal out there the giraffes the gazelles the antelopes what do they do they perk up they look around why they're scared because they're the ones on the menu what does that little lion cub do You climb all over him, chew on his tail, bite his ears, right? Same lion, different results. One is, you know, going to be prey, and one is being protected. You see, the understanding, and you read the book of Micah, it's beautiful. It goes into great detail on the roar of the Lord. But, but the roar of the Lord, not only... It is heard by the enemies of God, but is also heard by um, the ones that he's called as well, his family, if you will. Us, the one that see, he protects. And so what happens when that little cub gets out of line? <clears throat> Sometimes it gets batted, right? Or spanked, if you will. He'll never get eaten if it's his real dad. He'll, he'll never be killed if it's his real dad. But he will be disciplined. He will be, um, <clears throat> if you will, roared at. Yeah, to get back in line. And the understanding that we see here is the discipline of God is coming down. Upon the people of Jerusalem. Will he destroy them completely? No. For 70 years that will be taken into bondage. But will they come back? Will God bring them back? Will God protect them in a foreign country. And bring them back? Yes. He will. In fact we see that at the end of this amazing chapter. And at the day that the slain of the Lord. Shall be from one end of the earth. Even to the other, the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall become refuse on the ground. Wail, shepherds, and cry. Roll about in the ashes, you leaders of the flock. For the days of your slaughter and your dispersions are fulfilled. You shall fall like a precious vessel. And the shepherds will have no way to flee, nor the leaders of the flock to escape. All those people that claim to be the religious leaders or the political leaders of the day they will not escape in fact we read that last week you can uh, listen to the lesson from last week about what will happen a voice of the cry of the shepherds and a wailing of the leaders of the flock will be heard for the lord has plundered their pasture and the peaceful dwellings are cut down because of the fierce anger of the lord this word peaceful literally is translated shalom the, the greeting that you would give to a fellow Jew, e even today, shalom, shalom. What's going to be taken away? Not only will their joy be taken away, but now their peace is going to be taken away also. Why? Because they turned their backs on God. 
They don't want to listen to God. They don't want to hear God. They trade their joy and peace for things that are temporary rather than things that are eternal. He has left his lair like a lion for their land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. Who's going to remove the joy and the peace? God himself. And they're going to long for it. Who's going to destroy the temple? God himself. Who's going to destroy Jerusalem? God himself. So much so that they're going to long for it after 70 years. The very first thing they're going to be building in the land is the temple. Why? Because they missed worshiping God. It had been removed from their lives for so long. And now they long uh, to worship God. And for any of you, whether online or, or here, you know that. Maybe you've had an extended period where you, you know, weren't able to go to church just 2020, right? What happens when you are separated from those that, you know, are your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? That longing to worship God corporately with uh, one another. Jeremiah chapter 26, we also get another, and, and as you see here in every single one of these, we're going to see a timeline at the beginning of the reign of King Jehoiakim, okay? We're going to see this in 26 and also in 27 as well. It says, in the beginning of the reign of King Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord saying, thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not diminish a word. Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil ways that I may relent concerning the calamity which I propose to bring on them because of the evil of their uh, doings. And remember, this is not the first time that God has prophesied or warned the people of Jerusalem. This has been going for hundreds and hundreds of years. Before in Isaiah and Micah, before in Hosea, before in all those minor prophets, if you will. God has been warning the people. He has been coming to them through various people and saying, Turn from your evil ways. Repent. Uh, but now judgment is coming. Verse 4, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh. And will make the city a curse to all the nations of the earth. You see, uh, the mantra of the day was that God will not destroy his people, his city. God will not destroy his temple. Because this is the only place on earth where he can be worshipped. And, and the example that's given here is the house of Shiloh. You guys remember where that was? You have to go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 4. This was, this was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was keep, kept after the, the tabernacle was taken down before the temple was actually built during the time of King David. And the Ark of the Covenant was in this city and the Philistines come and they literally take it away. In fact, 
in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, and by the way, this is an amazing uh, story to read. You can read the, the whole thing in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. Uh, but the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The Philistines actually beat the Israelites when they have the Ark of the Covenant amongst them. It's not like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Where, where the enemy disappears or has their faces melted or whatever. No, the, the, the Israelites are the ones that are defeated. And what does it say? There was a great slaughter and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, the priests, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Why? Because they were living perverted lives. They were sinning against God. And so God even has the Ark of the Covenant removed from uh, the people of Israel during this time. And of course, you guys remember, you know, uh, the Philistines keep, you know, all their gods keep falling over and, you know, eventually it comes back, you know, and that, that's an amazing story, by the way. But the understanding is God brought judgment despite the fact that the Ark of the Covenant was among them. God brings judgment despite the fact that this representation of him on earth is amongst them. And the same is going to happen now in the time of Jeremiah. God is going to judge his people despite the fact that the temple is there amongst them. In fact, the temple itself is going to be raised uh, to the ground. And the reason why, of course, is they had turned these artifacts, these places into mystical things. It had become a religion rather than a relationship. And we all can do the, exactly the same thing with church, right? R rather than understanding that, you know, this is a place of, of worship, we can come and use it as a place of, you know, business or whatever. Or a place to, you know, make contact rather than understanding that this is supposed to be a place where we edify and grow and learn about the Lord together. Listen to how Jeremiah describes it in verse 7. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Who are these people that he's speaking to? The religious leaders. Where do they get their finances? Where do they get their money? From the temple worship, from the temple service. That, that's how they got their money. And what is God saying through Jeremiah? I'm going to destroy this temple. So what will happen to the livelihoods of the priests and the prophets? By definition, it will be dried up. It will be destroyed. And so who are now making the people, you know, riled up against Jeremiah. It's the religious leaders of the day. The, those people that were no longer in tuned with God, yet claiming to be speaking for God, paid by, you know, the religious services of the day. Now it happened when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people that the priests and the prophets, the religious leaders, and all the people seized him saying, you shall surely die. By the way, fast forward 700 years, exactly the same thing happens to Jesus Christ. 
exactly the same. Who were the ones that hated Jesus Christ the most? The religious leaders, the priests. They hated Jesus. Why? Because they took away their prophets. They P-R-O-F-I-T-S, not, you know, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S, okay? The same pronunciation, different spelling. You understand they were taking away their finances, their money, because they spoke the truth without any form of compensation monetarily themselves. They spoke the truth that God had given them to uh, say. Verse 9, why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying this house will be like Shiloh, and this city will be desolated without an inhabitant? All the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. You are saying that our livelihood is literally going to be torn to the ground. That can never be because God has chosen us to be his people. He will always love us no matter what we do. How many times have you heard that? And yes, by the way, he does love us, but he's going to discipline the people just like he disciplines us. And when the princes of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord. They sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people saying, this man deserves to die for the pro he has prophesied against this city as you have heard with your ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people. These are the political leaders now. The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. Now, therefore, amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. As for me, here I am in your hands. Do with me as seems good and proper to you. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves, on this city and on its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to speak all these words in your hearing. For 23 years, Jeremiah has been speaking the truth. For 23 years, he's been presenting the word of God to the people just candidly making sure that they you know out of all the other people that were tickling the ears of the people uh, trying to you know get them as we see here literally in the new gate this gate that had been built within the last 20 years uh, th this gate that had been put up and rather than you know preaching what was truth what were they doing patting their pockets Oh, look at this great architectural wonder. We can sit here and argue about the little things of the law rather than understanding that the Babylonian Empire is literally surrounding them and they're about ready to be wiped off the face uh, of the earth. Of course, this chance is here. If they, you know, repent, what will God do? He'll relent. So the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man does not deserve to die for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord, our God. They don't understand the, you know, the religious implications, if you will. 
And just like in the time of Jesus Christ, you know, whether it was Pilate or whether it was those, you know, political leaders, they didn't understand the religious nuances that are being argued. You know, that he's claiming to be God. Who cares, you know? They, they didn't, you know, weren't, uh, you know, ashamed of that. that. That's a religious matter. You guys decide. And, of course, the priest, the high priest, what does he do? He gives that choice to the people. You can have Barabbas or you can have Jesus Christ, right? Because at the Passover, they were allowed to do that. The, the political and the religious, exactly the same thing that is going on here in this same time period. 700 years before, with Jeremiah's life, verse 17 then certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke all the, all the people of Judah. By the way, this is exactly the same Micah in, that wrote the minor prophet Micah, okay? The one that describes the roaring of the lion. The, the same illustrations that Jeremiah is using here, the, the contemporary, if you will, of Isaiah. Uh, Micah is quoted here as saying this, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. What had Micah predicted would happen? And this, of course, is 100 years ago, 100 years before this time period. What is Micah predicting? That Jerusalem is going to be torn down if they don't repent. In fact, in Micah chapter 3, verse 12, this is the verse that is quoted from Micah. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. And we may read that, and we don't really understand all the implications of that, but what is a prophet of God saying? The temple's going to be destroyed. The, the capital city of Judah itself, Jerusalem, the city of David, is going to be torn down. Again, Jeremiah is repeating uh, these prophecies. And how long has God been patient with the people, by the way? For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah ever put him to death? By the way, there was a revival that happened because of that. You can read the beginning of the book of Micah and also Isaiah chapter 7 uh, for that revival. An amazing thing happens. They actually repented and God relented. Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. The same message is coming to us. And if we repent, God will relent. But instead, what is your heart like and your neck like? We read about this last week and the week before. They were hard-hearted and stiff-necked. And so the word of God is coming like that hammer. That amazing verse, the hammer of God, is coming against his people. There was another person, and, and you only find this story in Jeremiah. And by the way, you're here tonight, you're listening uh, tonight, so you get to hear this, okay? This isn't found anywhere else in the Bible. 
Now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shimeiah of Kerjath jerim who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. That there was a guy, another prophet, who didn't listen to the lies. He believed Jeremiah's words, and he himself also prophesied these truths. He didn't have a book in the Bible. This is the only time we ever read about this exact Uriah, this person who prophesied in the name of the God, this contemporary of Jeremiah. What happened to him? And when Jehoiakim the king and all his mighty men and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid, fled, and went to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim the king sent men to Egypt, Elnathan the son of Akbor, and other men who went with him to Egypt. And they brought Uriah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim the king, who killed him with the sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. What happened to this person that spoke the truth? He was killed for his truth that he spoke from God. And the people are about ready to do the same to Jeremiah if it wasn't for one person who stands up for him. The last verse of verse 20, or chapter 26. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, so that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. He had one person that stood up for him. One person that said, I believe what Jeremiah is saying. But by the way, have you ever, I, I love looking up the definitions of names in the Bible. And the definitions of these two names are absolutely amazing. You see, a high cam literally means my brother who rises or my brother who stands. This Ahikam stands with his brother, his spiritual brother, and says, I will not only be this person's, <clears throat> excuse me, this person's friend, but I'll be his companion as well. I'll stand next to him. And then the other word here, the name of his dad, this word, uh, Shaphan. Do you know what it means? It means rock badger. Have you ever seen a, you know, again, the nature show of the, what a badger does with his home? That ferocious little animal that's willing to fight tooth and nail, you know, animals that are three, four times its size to defend its home, to defend its family. The Shafan defined as my brother who stands with me, the picture that you see being the son of the rock badger, ferociously fighting for his friend, standing up for his friend against all the political and religious powers of the day, saying, I'm going to stand with Jeremiah. I'm going to stand with the one who speaks the truth. Chapter 27, 
the story continues. Again, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, we read another example of what's going to happen to Jeremiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord to me, Make for yourselves bonds and yokes and put them on your neck and send them to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre, the king of Sidon, by the hand of the messengers who came to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah. And command them to say that their masters, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth and the men and the beasts that are on the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given them to whom it seems proper to me. And now I've given all these lands in the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field I have also given him uh, to serve him. And you have to think of the picture here, these yokes. By the way, there's some pictures here. Uh, literally, I mean, you know, this is the implement of the day where, you know, two oxen would be put into this, this yoke and, and made to plow fields or work or, you know, carry heavy uh, loads. It was the tractor of the day, if you will. And, and this yoke is meant as bondage. You know, if it's on an animal, that animal was bonded to the owner it, it was a you know an animal of labor but as we read here what's going to happen to the nations they're going to be put in bondage the nations of edom and moab and the ammonites the nation of judah uh, as well. So he FedExes all these yokes to everybody. Uh, verse 7, you know, if FedEx was around at that time. So all the nations shall serve him and his son and his son's sons until the time of his land comes. And when many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which does not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and which does not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish. God's going to destroy that nation, says the Lord, with the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your de dreamers, your soothsayers, your sorcerers, who speak to you, saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. To remove you far from your land and I will drive you out and you will perish. By the way, all these, you know, religious, uh, you know, uh, titles that are given here. Not only are the priests and the prophets, but it's lumped with sorcerers and diviners and soothsayers as well. Everybody that was had this religious title, the, the new age of the day, if you will, uh, the palm readers and the people that practice these, you know, um, uh, new age practices that, by the way, are exactly, you know, what people call today new age. It's just that 2,700 years ago, who are they aligned with? The priests, the prophets. They're all gathered in this, you know, quote-unquote spiritual, it's okay, we all will get there eventually, right? We, we just have to coexist, right, as the mantra of today is. And, and we'll survive Babylon, we'll survive Nebuchadnezzar. 
by the way, what does God say about that? And these are the temple priests. These are the temple prophets. What is God saying? They're a bunch of lies. And they're only meant to harm you. Verse 11, but the nations that bring their necks upon under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they will till it and dwell in it. I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die, you and your people, by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Therefore, do not listen to the words of the prophets who speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. For I have not sent them, says the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name that I may drive you out, and that you may perish, you and the prophets who prophesy uh, to you. And so Jeremiah gives this perfect illustration, and you can see it in the second picture here. He literally wears the yoke. He literally wears the yoke as an example to the people. This is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be treated like a cow or an ox. You're going to be put into bondage by another nation. Don't you love those, you know, illustrations that where you can just see it and jeremiah is literally showing it to the people this is what's going to happen uh, to you verse 16 i also spoke to the priests and to all this people saying thus says the lord do not listen to the words of your prophets or prophesy to you saying behold the vessels of the house of the lord's house will now shortly be brought back from babylon for they prophesy a lie to you do not listen to them serve the king of babylon and live why should the city be laid waste but if they are prophets and if the word of the lord is with them let them now make intercession to the lord of hosts the vessel which are left in the house of the lord in the house of the king of judah and at jerusalem do not go to uh, babylon you see what had happened during the the time when daniel and shadrach meshach and abednego had been taken away uh, various, you know, the precious implements, the the goblets of gold and silver, those things that were supposed to be used in the, you know, the service of God, those things in the, the holy place, if you will, they had been taken to Babylon as, you know, collateral or, or as a, a tribute, if you will, to the king of Babylon. In fact, when you read the book of Daniel again, uh, the writing on the wall, the, you know, the, the party that they have during the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, the same guy, it's those same gold goblets that are used in the party. It's those same silver goblets that are used in the party. The, those things that were taken out of the temple itself are used in Babylon as their trophies of conquest. Verse 19, for thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, concerning the sea. These were all the things that were on the outside. These were literally massive bronze implements. This, this labor, this, this sea, if you will, uh, literally was massive. 
I mean, it, it was beyond count in terms of the weight of this thing. In fact, Babylon's going to have to cut it up into pieces. These pillars were massive that were outside the front of the temple, and they are literally going to be cut apart in order to be taken to Babylon because they are so heavy and massive or the carts and the concerning the remainder of the vessels that remain in this city. All these religious artifacts that were used in the service of God, what are they going to be done? They're going to be taken to Babylon, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah from Jerusalem to Babylon, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and of Jerusalem, they shall be carried to Babylon. All these heavy things that weren't taken away the first and second time, they're going to be taken away the third time. Why? Because you haven't listened to God. You haven't repented. You haven't relented. You have backslidden and disobeyed the one that loved you the most. And there they shall be until the day that I visit them, says the Lord. And I will bring them back and restore them to this place. Again, 70 years later, they're going to come back. And by the way, next week we'll get to chapter 28. But if you read ahead, uh, the, these prophets are going to counter Jeremiah and say, it's not going to happen in 70 years. It's going to happen in two years. And again, they're going to be proven wrong. Literally, within the same chapter, they're going to be proven wrong because they prophesied falsely, you know, within two years, they're going to be found out. And of course, they're going to uh, bear the punishment. They're going to die. But, but the thought just to end tonight is, you know, do the things that we listen to or who we listen to, it shouldn't be those things that, you know, make us feel good. Because you see, the religious leaders of the day, they just wanted to make the people feel good. Despite the fact that, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's a massive army literally surrounding their city. Oh, we'll just all, you know, be happy and joyful and all those things. We'll just drink and drink and drink. We'll just, you know, ignore the big, huge problem outside of our gates. But instead of listening to those things that make us feel good, we should be listening to those things that make us better. Or for our good, if you will, as the New Testament says. Why does God allow certain problems in our lives? Why, why does God allow certain, you know, tribulations, if you will, those things that are promised by Jesus Christ himself, the, the, the challenges that come into our lives, the, those things that, you know, stretch us and grow us? Why, why does God allow certain things into our lives? It's to produce within us patience. It's to produce within us, you know, goodness. It's to produce within us things that grow us spiritually. It's things that make us better. And Jeremiah isn't afraid to tell the truth. 
It may not feel good in the time. It may not sound pretty. It may not be eloquent. But it's the truth. And it's meant to bring the people back to a close relationship with God. And thank God for the people in our lives that tell us the truth. Those are the real friends, by the way. Those are the Ahiakims and the Shaphans. The ones that will stand by your side in the hard times and willing to tell you the truth. Rather than just to, you know, blow smoke. To build you up. And then to let you down. This is the word of God. This is the truth, the word of God. And so tonight, and you know, whether you, you, you read this over again or read ahead, the understanding is the privilege that we have to have the word of God before us and that you can read it for yourself. You can understand it. Just ask God, Lord, reveal to me, give me your wisdom today. As I read uh, this passage, as I, I read your word, and the amazing thing next week, and I hope you come next week, because we get to have communion together, first Wednesday of the month, and we also get to read Jeremiah 29, and it'll blow your socks off. It'll be amazing. So please come uh, next week. And so, Father, I thank you so much for the privilege that we have as we read these um, chapters and and you know the the names may be different but the situations are exactly the same as today it's so easy to get caught up in the um uh, in the things that puff us up in the things that make us feel emotionally good and we turn to those things those addictions in our lives that um, blur the lines between reality and fantasy. Uh, that, that numb uh, the pain, if you will. Lord, please forgive us when we turn to things that are temporary rather than the things that are eternal. The truth of your word. And even though it may be hard to hear, it is for our good. It is to better us. It's to draw us closer to you, to bring us in a, a right relationship with you that is permanent and eternal. And so, Lord, I ask that you bless these, my friends, to prick our hearts, convict us, uh, bless those that are online, the, those that may hear this in the future. I ask that you just help us to understand that, that the providence of God, the, the perfect working of, of God uh, in the way that these verses, these chapters come to life, are just as relevant today as is your whole word. And so, Lord, help us to meditate upon these things. Help us to even be um, reminded and pricked on these things and, and convicted as we meditate upon your word so that we would be changed when we leave this room, so that we would not be the same as when we came in. So, Lord, I thank you for the privilege of meeting with these, uh, my friends and my family. I ask you bless them as they leave tonight. Bless their weeks. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.